What is up, everyone? We are back with another episode of Shaping the Culture. Now, like, let's just get to it. The whole secular, sacred divide. There is no distinction in, in the scriptures. Some of us have trust issues with God. And right, some right. of us, yeah, it's like, does God really got us? You can't engage the culture with the gospel that first has not engaged you. Like, you know how people are like, oh, that's just who I am. No. no. <laughs> drop the mic. Drop, drop the mic. Drop the mic. Shaping the code. I don't know if you guys saw before the show, I don't know how stable this platform is. <laughs> so we're, we're being held up by faith. <laughs> um... So here's what we're going to do. Um, before we get started, I'm going to give an opportunity to Esso and Pastor Ned to give us some context to who they are, share their backstory, uh, and uh, get a little bit more of an introduction of who they are. So you want to you wanna start us yes. off? What's going on, everybody? My name is Esso. I am Nigerian. Any Nigerians? Hey, there you go. Yeah, two, two people. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people. Um, I thought because we were in Dallas, you know, you know I, I just, I was just assuming. Um, Nigerian, born, born in Nigeria, I lived there till I was nine years old, uh, then I moved to London when I was nine, um, and so from nine till 27, I was in London, um, and I grew up in church kind of like, maybe like most of you here, and I grew up in a very uh, Pentecostal charismatic background, I remember singing Kirk Franklin in the, in the choir at church. All of that good stuff, stuff that you probably have experienced as well. Um, and then in terms of my faith journey, when I was 14, 15, I always had an inkling to want to serve God, but I didn't want to serve God at a young age. I wanted to just do my thing. And I really, I thought, my thought process was, when I get older, then I will give my heart to him, right? I want to party, do all the stuff I need to do now, sleep with as many women as I want to right now. Maybe when I'm 40, 50, cool then he can have my heart. You know what I'm saying? Maybe when I'm Ebenezer's age, then he can have my heart. Uh, but the Lord saw otherwise. And I also thought that nobody died when they were young, either. I had never seen anybody pass away when they were young. So my thought was like, silly me, I thought, everybody lived until they're older, then born when you're older, you pass away. Um, at 14, then my best friend passes away. Uh, Sunita, she died in her sleep. Nothing, we didn't see it coming. And the, 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 real, the real story is what happened a week before she passed away. So a week before she passes away, I am in her kitchen getting a lecture from her about my faith or my lack thereof. And she is giving me that work like, hey, well, you know, you're telling me you're a Christian, but I'm looking at your life and it's not matching at all. None of, none of the stuff you're saying on Sunday is matching to the way that you're living. Then a week later, she passes away. So I had to reconcile uh, with that reality of one, you know, you're going to die one day and it could be tomorrow. So you could meet God. And if you do meet God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen when you meet him and he shows you your life back and he shows you your hypocrisy to say that you, um, you didn't know him at all? So that is when the Lord saved me. And then I, I became a Christian at 15. Two years later, my dad passes away um, in a car crash in Nigeria. Um, and then as that happens, again, I have somewhat of a faith crisis because I then have to reconcile with this God that I've come to believe in who I have this idea of like good things are gonna happen to me. So I go to school for theology. Um, I go to school in Durham, five hours away from, from London, 
And then I have what could potentially be like a deconstruction. We'll, we'll get to that in, in, a, in, a, in a second or later on. And then when I get back to London, the boy, I'm the boy, I meet a girl. Boy likes girl, girl likes boy. Boy and girl get breakup. Boy writes a breakup album about her. We end up back together. And then 2016, we move to America a week after we get married. And then fast forward seven years later, we have two beautiful children and are raising them to love Jesus with everything that they have. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, uh, I'm grateful for this night. Uh, shout out to Shaking the Culture, uh, Pastor Ebenezer, the whole team, uh, all involved in making this happen, uh, this great group, uh, Pathway, um, everyone who is involved in uh, being able to make this night possible. Enough has been said about me uh, through his introduction. Um, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church, and uh, but I didn't know Jesus. Uh, I had not believed in the gospel. I didn't come to Christ until 20 years old. I was in college. Um, grew up to a uh, household and parents who loved, who loved the Lord and um, were serving the Lord. So I knew, I saw the gospel, uh, lived out, and I heard the gospel. Uh, taught and preached. Um, I saw consistency in the home. Um, I didn't see hypocrisy, but I loved the world and I loved sin far more uh, than, I, than I cared to follow Jesus. And so that was a challenge until God found me uh, in college. Um, answered the call to the ministry at 23. I've been preaching for, uh, pastoring for 16 years. I've been married going on 17 years. We got four kids between us, high schoolers, middle schoolers, elementary schoolers. God's just blessed. God's been faithful. He's really redeemed the 20 years I didn't give him. Um, and I got kids who all who love Jesus, who are walking with Jesus, and a family who just loves the Lord, and, and Christ is ruling and reigning. And it's just a wonderful time to serve the Lord in your youth. And uh, the one thing I'm really concerned about is reaching this generation and uh, pouring into and investing this, in this generation. So things like this that, that come up, um, I'm game. I'm game for that. And so I'm just grateful uh, to play a part. I'm just grateful to serve. And uh, yeah, praise God. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but the last two, three years has been difficult. Anybody else had a difficult last two, three years? Uh, I don't know if you know, but in 2020, we had this like they call COVID, uh, but COVID happened, you know, everybody felt that, you know, injustice we saw, personal lives. I know I've gone through my own personal situation the last couple of years. I know a lot of people have gone through their own personal things. And in the midst of that, it's really hard to trust Jesus. It's really hard to believe that he is who he says he is. And over the last two, three years, not only have I felt that, but I've walked with people who also felt that. I have loved and cared for people who have questioned God, walked away from the faith. Uh, people I've done ministry with for so many years walked away. And uh, it's tough, it's tough. And um, we wanted to create a space and a platform where we can have honest conversations about the struggle. Um, I don't know about you guys, but we don't overcome doubt by not talking about it. Uh, and I wanted us to create a space where we can talk about doubts, talk about questions, talk about our wrestles, and uh, wrestle together. I heard somebody once say, uh, theology is a group project. Don't do it alone. And uh, this is an attempt to do it together. And 
after this, we're you know we're gonna have a conversation, but we're gonna I'm really excited about leaning into your cue, the the cue, the questions that you guys are gonna have, and maybe we'll have some answers that will help. But before we do, I kind of want to ask our guests here today: Have you guys ever uh, questioned God? Felt like He wasn't real? Couldn't trust Him at His word? Uh, had a season of unbelief? doubt, wondered if he was worthy of your life? If so, what did that look like and uh, how did you uh, endure? Yeah, so from bless the Lord. Um, now you know when you, go, when you grow up in a church, you know, you know what I'm saying? You gotta bless the Lord. The devil's a lie, all that stuff. Uh, um, so for me, you know, like I said, I went to college. Um, I was five hours away, which doesn't feel that long for Americans, but in the UK, nobody's driving five hours to see you. That's all that's just not happening. Um, so I, I was a young Christian, I'm in college, and I'm doing all the stuff that college people are, are doing and are not meant to be doing um, if you're a believer. So remember my second year of, uh, of uni, which was what we call college, I, I sit down in my dorm room, no, in, my, in my bedroom, and I really have this somewhat come to Jesus moment um, where it's a, hey, are you going to follow me wholeheartedly? Are you going to today leave me or are you going to follow me the way I have called you to follow me um and and as I as I'm sitting there having this what feels like an existential crisis is John chapter 6 pops into my mind so in John 6 Jesus is speaking to a group of people he has a mega church it seems right 4,000 people he's he's feeding them they want to make him king he says nah I'm not really on it then he starts to say some hard things to them he says hey whoever wants to follow me you got to eat my flesh you got to drink my blood they're like hold on wait we're Jews that's not what we do we're not about that life so we're going to leave you and the Bible says that many people turned their back on him that day. Why? Because he said some really hard things to them. So he turns to Peter, and I feel like he was turning to me and saying, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says some really profound words. He says, hey, where are we going to go? To whom are we going to go to? Because we know and have come to believe that you have the words of eternal life. And it isn't like they couldn't go anywhere. They had many places they could have gone to. These guys have families, they got wives, maybe babies, they got jobs, they left their businesses. So there are many places they can go to. But regardless of where they went to, they would have been leaving something that was far, or someone really that was far greater than anything they would have gone to. And so in that moment, I had to realize the simple truth that Jesus Christ is better than anything that I want to pursue. He's better than any girl that I want to be with, any lifestyle that I want to live that is in opposition of him. He is actually the one that will truly satisfy me. So that was, if they kind of, kind of answer your question, that was the moment where I had like this faith crisis. of like, hey, what you going to do? And he turned to me and asked me, and thankfully, um, he spoke to me through his word. And that, that word has kept me as a Christian since, in all honesty. Yeah, um, I think one of the reasons, I, I, I think everyone has had bouts with doubt, um, with uncertainty, and, and struggles of the soul. I think every, every believer at one time or another, it may vary depending on who we are, and I would throw myself into, into there as well. I think one of the reasons why my, if I could put it in quotes, um, version of deconstruction is not like what we often see or hear on social media or online is because 
and I thought about this a lot as I walk with a lot of people over the past five, maybe ten, about five or so years who were dealing with this, and we've saw this more and more come up. Um, I think it's because I've, I slowly built my faith. Um, I, I, I was never one who rushed into any one of the tribes within Christianity, whether that's, you know, you have all of your circles. Um, you know, you'll, you'll have your, your homeschool group, You'll have your um, creation, young, you know, young Earth creation, old Earth creation, evolution the, um, creation group. You'll have your your Calvinist Arminius, Arminian group. You'll have your um, charismatic, hyper charismatic uh, cessationist group. Um, you'll have your black church, your white church. You'll have um, your progressive and your conservative Christianity. You have all these different camps as you join the church and start noticing things. And I think I had the chance to slowly be exposed to these conversations and have all the time I needed to think about them before I went all in, if I did ever go all in in any one area. And I think I noticed a lot of the people who I've walked with who really had struggles is they had almost like a a bent, like they're wired a certain way. Even it was the case for them in the world. Like when they went all in, they went all in in things. And I think a lot of times is when you go all in in something, sometimes it could not be any one of those things. It could just be how you perceive authority or leadership and the kind of trust that you give it or them. And no matter any one of those examples, if you end up getting disappointed on any one level, if you discover it down the road, it could be a deal breaker for a lot of people. And they don't know. It's like the thread that as soon as you pull it on a button, it's like, oh, no, I can't stop now. It's all coming out. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, the, the, I think a lot of times the way we construct our faith to begin with can contribute a lot of times to what happens when things get shaky down the road. It's not that things get shaky. It's what happens and how do we handle that shakiness. And and so, um, yeah, I, and I think one of the so I, I, I dealt with it. But I also think I also had a chance to to live, and I'll, I'll I'll say this last thing. I was well into my adulthood when Facebook went live and public beyond Harvard, like the average person is using it, and then IG comes like four years later. So I've had a chance to live over twenty years without social media, which means a lot of my growth and exploration was always in person. It was always with people, uncles, dads, grandmas, aunts, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, I can always reach out to and I can always have time with. I wasn't working out my faith online in the comment section on IG or in Facebook or Twitter. You see what I'm saying? Bookmarking stuff and then getting back to it when I can and, and watching later YouTube videos and stuff. All those are great, but for me, they were always and they continue to be uh, secondary or supplemental. I got real-life, concrete relationships of all generations always around me. And I think that's not prevented me from struggling, but it definitely put the guardrails in place. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Go ahead. It's your pastor. (laughs) Um, To piggyback off that, and even what Asso was talking about, you know, Jesus said, will you leave me too? Peter says, to where will we go? To answer that, you know, we've got this 
group who believe this way, that group that believes that way. You've got this church, you've got that church, you've got this theology, you've got this philosophy. And it seems like we got options, not just in the world, but options in the church. And it's hard because, and I, and I experience this every week. On Sunday, I can give a sermon and then two days later, I'll get a text from somebody in our community who sends me a sermon from somebody else who contradicts everything I said. And it's like, how do I know you're the one I trust, right? This person says it this way. I like this. Um, and so we've got options, not just in the world, but even in with the church. And I think all this noise could add to the confusion. What do you guys think is maybe some of the best ways we can go about uh guarding our heart and then building our faith because a lot of us are working out our faith online um even even for me i'll i'll confess like i'm a product of it like i'm a product of youtube uh i watch so many sermons on youtube i've lost count and i've been deeply shaped by that and then twitter shout out to twitter i have benefited a great deal but i've also been exposed to a lot because of social media and so on one end it's 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 a beautiful gift but then there's also this this curse that can come with it. And so what does it look like to work out our faith while guarding our heart? I think, um, I think pastor said it best. You mind if I quiet, you know, I, you know, I, I know, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to assume that you want to No, Cause there are some guys who don't like to be called pastors. I just on the random, they don't like to do that. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I think it's best said is that like, there's not, nothing beats life on life discipleship. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think that, that is one thing um, growing up in a, um, in a charismatic Pentecostal church that just wasn't um, explored a lot. Even though, you know, if you ask them, you know, they would say, yeah, of course we agree with this. But was it modeled? Was it shown? Was it done? Is a different conversation. Um, so to, to kind of circumvent what you're saying, Ebenezer, Pastor Ebenezer, sorry, sir, um, um, is to make sure you have life on life. And I, I, love, I love what you said about multi-generational. You know, because sometimes we, we young people, we just think we just want to hang around young people. There is, there is something detrimental to only hang around young people. There is, that's not a safe space. <laughs> it ain't a safe space. You, you need people who are older than you to check you and to, to ask you, hey, why do you think like that? I know they can't use an iPhone or iPad. It's cool. But they have experienced life longer than you have. And sometimes we can get in our pride and think, nah, we don't need so-and-so, Auntie Jemima, who is just telling me something, just a random name, um, who's just telling me stuff. But auntie has been a Christian, even though her theology is not all the way correct, right? She has consistently loved Jesus and has consistently loved her children. There is something we can learn from that. There is something that we can learn from just pulling a seat down, pulling a seat and just watching her do her life, watching him do his life. So I love, I love the concept of multi-generational and, and, and building that up and, and not allowing ourselves to get caught up into the vortex of the internet and lose out on the actual life on life, one-on-one, three-on-one, few people gathering together, discipling one another and growing in the faith. So I think that's, that's one of the ways we guard against what you're saying here, like getting off the internet, turning it off and thinking, who are the people um, that we can get with in real life, in real time. Yeah, yeah. I, you, you, discipleship is a big word. Yes. Right? And I think a lot of us have a different understanding of what that word can mean. Um, what, what does it look like to disciple and to be discipled? Um, 
last night we had a show in Houston and, you know, discipleship got brought up. And afterwards, a young girl came up and was sharing with me, you know, I have trust issues. I opened myself up to be discipled by someone and they ended up manipulating me and they took advantage of me. I was young. I was hungry for the things of God. And they used that and exploited it. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I was like, we, we, we talked about some practical things, but that's the thing. There's a lot of hurt in the church. There's been a lot of abuse. There's been a lot of moral failure. And it's like, we have to address the elephant in the room. People are like, why should I trust this person to walk with me and tell me how to live my life? Um, you know, I think people want to be led, but people want to be led by those that they trust. And the church has shown us over the last few years, and this is not a new thing, this has been a thing from the very beginning of time, that there are people in the church that are not trustworthy. But what is discipleship? How do we overcome maybe the hurdles that come with discipleship? And why is that instrumental in our spiritual formation? Well, I believe we're living in a time where, as Peter put it in Second Peter, that judgment begins in the house of God, right? So God's cleaning house. And we see that on many levels with many leaders who've been able to enjoy that position um, and that access and that platform, but without the character, um, the offstage life um, that's supposed to follow it. And, and as a result of that, many people, um, sadly, ha who've sat under that leadership or that ministry um, have been disillusioned and have been hurt, and that's, that's awful. And... and I think there's only one way to think about that. Um, God sees, God knows, whatsoever a man um, sows, that shall he also reap. And so God's not mocked. So uh, God's going to deal with who he has to deal with. And he's going to know how to care for those who were impacted one way or another, directly or indirectly. And I think the church is also the antidote and the solution to how those people can find the help and the healing and the support and the patience that they're going to need to be able to, instead of saying, come on, just get with it, put it behind you, I think we need to learn how to be patient and say, well, if you were in their shoes and had what happened to them, do you think you would bounce back as quickly? And so I think we need to be far more patient with each other, especially those of us who have stories of our own where, where we've been impacted, whether that's parents or whether that's uh, leadership within the church. Discipleship, I think uh, we say here the mission of the church is to um, see ourselves existing to lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so really discipleship, sometimes we complicate it too much. Discipleship basically is helping one another. And that's the operative word right there. Helping one another follow Jesus a little bit more each day. And so it's not one person has the sole right responsibility and anointing to lead everybody else. Um, we're all following Jesus. He's the shepherd, the chief shepherd of his church. We're all followers of him, and we all can learn th something from one another. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's more shoulder to the shoulder than let me show you how to straighten up your life. Right. You see what I mean? Right. Now, obviously, as someone has proven themselves over time in community, life on life, and they've got years, they've got experience, they've got means, then we can voluntarily choose how much of ourselves to allow them in on. But I think that's all, it's all about, it's like a dating relationship, right? It's like, how much should I share on the date? How much should I let them in? It's like, it all depends. Is it the first date or the 10th date? How much of themselves have they proven, 
right? So just because you're in a date doesn't mean that the person deserves all-out access. And I think in the same way in a church, just because someone may be prepared to come to church and just enjoy worship, enjoy uh, the general community, enjoy the word, but that's probably about it. It's going to take time, and I think it's mutual. It's a little bit of what you do and what you bring to the table, but it's also how the church delivers and demonstrates that they're worthy of your trust. You see what I'm saying? So I think it's a two-way street. It's not, how come they're not letting me in? How come they're not letting me disciple them? It's like, what is it about you that gives them those kinds of vibes, right? <clears throat> what, what are some qualities we should be looking for? I know you talked about it should take time, relationship, give it a few dates. But how do we know, okay, this is somebody I can trust? What are some characters that we can look for? What are some qualities that we can look for and say, okay, th- I'm seeing this, I'm seeing that. This is somebody I can maybe give a little bit more to, maybe share a little bit more, maybe be even more vulnerable with. Maybe I can bring this question to them. What, what attributes and characteristics do you think is healthy for us to look for as we are looking for a discipler? It's a good, it's a good. Well, let me give you a... So I think if you if you look at um, the fruit of the spirit, I think we, that's a good place to start, right? Is this person um, displaying the fruit of the spirit, right? Is there, is there patience? There is there love, peace? Is there joy? All that good stuff, right? I'm not gonna go through the whole list, um, but are they showing that? Are they trustworthy people in the community? Do people talk good about them when they are not around? I think that that's a that's a key part. And one one thing we were talking about yesterday is. If you look at the, um, and I've just been thinking through the uh, the qualities for an elder. One of the qualities is hospitality. Ebenezer made a good point yesterday. He was like, "When's the last time you saw an elder get disqualified because he's not hospitable? <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Yeah. You don't you don't exist. I've never seen that in a church ever. Hey, Pastor So and So has we have not been to his house for five years. He's disqualified. <laughs> We've never seen that. <laughs> we just I just never seen that. But. According to, to, to my man, he's like, hey, if he's not hospitable, he should not be an elder. Um, and so I think for me, I, going into someone's home and seeing how they interact with their spouse, how they interact with their children, will let me know if they're trustworthy enough. Will show me if I can be more vulnerable and more open to them. Like, if they're talking down to their wife, I don't, I don't want to be sharing much about myself. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be sure if, if their kids aren't running towards them with joy and glee. There's, there's something going on there. No, 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 the kids aren't just mad for a day. You know what I'm saying? Kids can get like that. But generally speaking, if they're just giving bad vibes, then there's something wrong there. So I think, obviously, you're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. You're looking if they're trustworthy. And if you get to the point where you get to their home and there's no hospitality, and they're not willing to give forth of themselves first before they're expecting you to share... I think that's, that's another, that's another uh, perspective, that's too. It's like, hey, before I expect you to be divulging and giving me every, spilling everything out, yeah. let me, let me, let me uh, model that for you. Mm. Let me model that for you without you asking. Let me tell you how my day is going. Let me, let me show you how we do things around a dinner table and how we are open and honest on a dinner table so that you then feel comfortable to do that because it's already a space that we do in our home anyway. Um, so I think that's one thing, like, well, those are four things really, but, uh, the fourth thing is really, I think them modeling what you want to, what you want to do for them. Does that make sense? Um, that's really good. And if I could just piggyback off of that and just to get away from, uh, 
pastors and elders, just the church in general, and how the church can have a culture of discipleship, be a disciple-making church, um, we also need to keep in mind we're all sinners. We're saved by grace. Our primary identity is that of saints, but we're in progress. And I think we need to have realistic biblical expectations that sin will occur. We, the Bible has given us guidance and direction as to what to do when we sin against each other, right? That's why we see Matthew 18, if your brother sins against, go and show him his fault, right? It doesn't say be surprised that it happened in the church. Um, uh, Matthew chapter 5, he says, uh, if you've got aught against your brother, before you offer your gift at the altar, leave it and then go and be reconciled. It's a presupposing that there's sin in the camp. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, um, if a brother is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself also, lest you too be tempted, right? So there's a sense in which the whole Bible, including the New Testament, presupposes that we will fail each other. I think we just need to make that clear, that we're going to fail each other one way or another. But praise God, we, what brings us together is the cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus, the grace of God, that God could have kept us at arm's distance, but he didn't. He commended his love toward us in that. So we need to be a, a rich in being a gospel-centered church. We should know the gospel so much. We should enjoy the gospel so much that when we do fail each other, it's not that it doesn't hurt, but we can handle it. We could bounce back. We could absorb it. A just man falls seven times, but he gets back up. He doesn't just fall by himself. Sometimes when he falls, it has an implication upon others. And so I think that's important as well. And, and so I think when it comes to discipleship with each other, I think it's, it's important to keep in mind that we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Nobody has to go to seminary. Nobody has to have a PhD. Nobody has to have a certain number of letters in front of their name to be a discipler. Again, it's, it's, we need to remove that posture and have one of shoulder to shoulder. We're, we're both in need of Jesus. We're both following Jesus. We just may help one another out here and there. And some seasons, I may be there for you a little bit more than you for me. And in other seasons, you may be there for me. But it's not here. Come to me, and I'm going to teach you everything. Yeah. It's more, let's walk with each other, yeah, right? That's yeah. Good. That's good. Yeah, you can give a round of applause for that. <laughs> I want to actually stay here a little bit because, you know, church hurt. Um, is a thing and I don't know if we're having the right conversations around it and you just shared a perspective that's wholesome um, why do you guys think that we are surprised when people disappoint us people hurt us um, I think about this reality that the church is full of broken people and broken things cut and hurt and so we should expect to be cut we should be we should expect to be hurt not not that we should invite that in or make that okay it's just the reality of it all but why do you think we've seen a culture where failing one another hurting one another is actually foreign uh, my mentor once said mature relationships leave room for the other person to make mistakes um, they they factor that in like i know you will disappoint me i'm gonna make space for that but i feel like we don't have a culture that we don't have a culture where we're making space for people to fail us uh, why is that I think one of the reasons, um, one because one, one when we when we put our I know, when, when we put our our, our faith in, in somebody, we expect them to have a higher standard than they actually do have. Mm -hmm. 
So yes, yes and amen to what pastor is saying, but sometimes I expect you to be better than that. So like I'm seeing you in a light that really the Savior should only be in. So sometimes we create idols out of these people that are actually meant to just be rubbing shoulders with us. We see them higher than they actually are. So it's one of the reasons why when it does happen, well, oh my, I can't. How could they? But if we just saw them for exactly what they were, we wouldn't be surprised, right? If we just had a level-headed expectation of who they were, we wouldn't be surprised. These guys are human beings just like me. They bleed just like me. They drink water. They have to eat their food. All the good stuff just like me. There's nothing extraordinary about them. But the truth of the matter is we don't do that, though. We don't do that. We see people um, for whatever reason and hold them to a high pedestal so that when they do fall, we're surprised. But because we've held them to a high pedestal, that's the reason why we're surprised. Mm -hmm. But if we just left them where they should be, we wouldn't be surprised. So sometimes we actually create idols out of people without knowing that we've made them idols until they disappoint us. They were like, oh, snap. Maybe we did make this person an idol. And another thing I would say um, to that question, Ebenezer, is because we aren't modeling it. We aren't modeling repentance to one another. Right? We're not modeling, hey, I failed in this. Let me yeah, repent yeah, yeah, yeah. publicly to you yeah. and say, I'm sorry. Let, as soon as I do, do something wrong, let me publicly repent. Let's reconcile this relationship. Right? So twofold, we're, we're holding people up to a high standard, and then we ourselves aren't modeling repentance to people regularly enough, I think. I think if you didn't go there, I was going to go there. So in idolatry, the definition of idolatry is anything that you love more than you love Jesus is an idol. It doesn't matter what it is or, or who it is. Um, I also think one way the church, churches can fail in this regard, if I could just add a little bit, is if we don't have biblically defined churches, they're not healthy. And therefore, the people who come into these communities, trusting that this is going to be the place where I'm going to grow, they're counting on this being a healthy church. Now, on one hand, the health of the church depends on each individual. But on another hand, it also depends on what the priorities of the church are. And so if a church fails to practice church discipline, if a church has double standards within its leadership or elder board, if a church has its hobby horses, if a church has more than one agenda going for itself, that will over time impact. It's like, it's now it's like I could have, I could get and say yes and amen to everything these two just said, right? You would say, but if, if we don't have a system and a mechanism in place to deal with sin, when it rears its ugly head, put it in check so that it doesn't get worse than it already is, then there's going to be a lot of people who are not in positions to make decision who are still going to have to stick around, who are going to suffer. And they're going to be impacted because they're going to be caught. And so I think leader, part of what leadership does is, if I know that there's somebody who's showing serious, sketchy signs, the last thing I'm going to want to do is have them lead a small group. I may know things that the whole church may not, I didn't post it on IG about the person, but maybe I learned it, maybe I'm building my case, maybe I, I have a day where I plan to address them, but it's not the kind of thing where they can't come to church and enjoy the worship, but I'm certainly not going to put them in a position where my people are going to be entrusted to that person because sooner or later something is going to happen. 
right? We've seen this, um, for example, in cases where you've had people with child abuse situations. And here they are serving in children's ministry. But they already got a track record. They're listed and so forth. But, but one way or another, leadership could wink at that because they bring some other th- qualities to the table. And you know what? If I really address it, it could be problematic. And, you know, we got a fundraiser and we're about to renovate. And this is not a good time. There's all sorts of stuff. You see, so now, you see, the whole church isn't, doesn't know, including the moms that are dropping their kids off. You see, so it's not, now it's not about that. It's, it's these other areas. So I think it's not just the interpersonal things that we need to be aware and the expectations we need to have with each other. It's also the health of the leadership and the structure of the church and what it plans to do when sin rears its ugly head, right? Yeah. So do you think that people should be asking before they join a church, hey, what do you, do y'all, do you guys do, y'all, y'all do church discipline? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good, that's a, that's, that's yeah. a fair question, you know, people, cause people don't, don't do that. And when they, when they go, you know, join the church, they, yeah. what's, your, what's your, what's your policy on church discipline? That's not a thing that I've heard in, in meetings. I've never heard that in meetings. hundred percent. Real quick. Cause I've, I'm a church planter. We have a membership covenant and we do spell out church discipline, but there's always one or two people in next steps that say, what is that? So I don't want to assume everybody in here knows what church discipline is. It might even sound kind of judgmental. What do you mean church discipline? Are we just going to expose people? And what do we what do we mean by church discipline? And what is the biblical and right way to go about it so that we can create the culture that uh, that is inviting for people that want to grow in their faith? Yeah, um, church discipline is as simple as in what we've been talking about already, just encouraging one another along in our relationship with Christ. Let's, let's come to church together. Let's have Bible study. Let's pray with one another. Uh, let's worship God together. That's, that's church discipline, right? But it can, that's one extreme, one end. The other end is um, what Paul says about the man who's sleeping with his father's wife. Hand that man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh and for the salvation of his soul. In other words, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A lot of times when people think of church discipline, they go there. So it has a negative connotation. A lot of times church discipline, when it's done right and well and biblically, should never really have to go there. You've seen church discipline happen a lot. You coming to church this Sunday? That's church discipline. What you learning uh, this week in the Word? What's God teaching you? That's church discipline. How's, uh, you were telling me about your prayer life and you were trying to memorize scripture and you were talking to, you were evangelizing some. Church discipline is just the spiritual disciplines. It's just the whole church is practicing it. It's just spiritual disciplines, right? Paul says uh, physical exercise profits some, but, uh, but godliness profits even more because it holds promise not only for this life, but for the life to come. Right? He uses the analogy of exercise. That's, that's spiritual disciplines, right? Prayer, fasting, reading the Bible, going to church, the means of grace, right? And so when the whole church is doing it, we call that not just spiritual discipline, but church discipline. But when, you, when, when you're not at church for eight Sundays, and I care about you, I'm like, where, where were you at? That's also church discipline. What's going on? What do you mean you got a different view of church? Like, have you talked to pastor or someone else about this? Like, that's also church discipline. It just, it, it's all up to how much you bring to the table as far as how different church discipline is going to look, right? It, it doesn't have to go all the way to the other end if it doesn't have to, right? That's good. That's good. I, I want to, I so brought this up earlier, but it, 
it, it goes so well with what you just talked about. What do you say to someone who doesn't want to be held accountable to that standard? Um, it's you know it's it's, it's too too private a que- uh, of a question. What, what do you what do you mean? Where was I last Sunday? Don't worry about it. Uh, I'll come when I come, right? Let me just do what I got to do, and when I when I have time, I'll I'll come, right? Esso talked about modeling repentance. Um, I don't think we have a culture where we confess. It's it's so fascinating in the scriptures. Um, repentance is always with you and God. Confession is always public. And I don't know if we. I mean, when was the last time we got around and said? I need to confess that I haven't been at church the last two weeks. Rather, it's, man, this person asked me where I was the last two weeks, right? There's just this uncomfortable uh, 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 feeling that we get from being held accountable. Would you guys say that following Jesus demands vulnerability and confession? And if it's, and, and if so, why do you think we struggle in that? And why do, you, why do you think we don't see that as much as we ought to see it? Well, we struggle with that. Because we want to look a certain way to people. We want to look stronger than we actually are to people. I think that's, that's one of the main reasons why we struggle with it, right? Which actually is, is, is rooted in pride. Because you want to look a certain way, so you want people to think that you're actually further along than you are, so they can put you up in a position that you ought not to be in. All right? So that's, that's, that's one of the reasons we, we, are, we are prideful beings who want to save face. Like we, we, love, we love saving face. We love that, oh, man, I, I can't let them see what I'm going through. I can't let them do that because if they do, they're going to look at me differently. They shouldn't be looking at you anyway. They <laughs> should be looking at Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So you wanted to look at you. Why? That, that'll, that'll be my, my main thing. Like, why, do you, why are you so infatuated with them looking at you so much? Why are you not infatuated with them looking at Jesus? And what could actually happen, hear me, this is, this is a strange thing. What could actually happen is as you confess your sin to that person, it could actually strengthen their faith. Would you believe it? Would you believe that strength, that, that confessing your sin to someone could actually let them know, oh my, I'm not the only person who's going through this? That God, God can actually meet me where I'm at. He can bring people and we can pray together. We can ask the Lord to remove the sin from us. So sometimes we, we don't do it because we want to look better than we actually are. And I think that's why, that would be like one of my main points. Like, hey, we don't model it because we want, to, we want to look more righteous. We have a self-righteousness about us um, that we want to keep. Yeah, that's good. You want to add to that? I think accountability is, yeah. is uh, key. Uh, I mean, uh, accountability has helped me in the gym. Accountability has helped me uh, when I was younger as an athlete. Accountability has helped me in marriage. Uh, accountability has helped me in community. I think accountability is, is key, and that's really what it's about, is I think sometimes we, we fail to, to recognize how much to our advantage it is to have people in our space. Um, I mean, I see, we see, I see, you see this in marriage. Anybody who's married knows, right? That's a, it's a rude awakening for the first few years. It's like, wow. It's like, where were you? You, you? It's been half an hour. Like, what do you mean where, I, you know, when you were single, I'll come home when I come home. <laughs> you know, I'll do whatever. I'll, if I want to hang out at Starbucks, right, I'll hang out at Starbucks and study. If I, if I want to hang out with the guys, I'll do whatever I want. If I, whatever I'd like to do, right? But the moment I got married, I realized I owe it to this woman to loop her in on everything that's going on in my life. 
and whatever decision making is involved, we've got to engage in that together. And that's going to slow me down. Right? It's like, but what happens if they don't like my idea? It's like, that's light. That's marriage. That's what it means. But you're missing out on the beauty of being able to accomplish and discover and explore and achieve things together. And I think sometimes it's the way that we perceive it. We see it as a net negative when it could actually be perceived as a net, as a net gain. And we live in a, the Western culture. It's highly individualistic. And I don't like to process myself and my own decisions in light of you know, others and what their thoughts are about it. I just want to be my own person. I think the gospel needs to recover something there and redeem us and help us to, to see it in a better light than, than a negative. I also want to say to add to that, we are already accountable to people. Mm -hmm. If you work a job, you're accountable to your boss. <laughs> you can't just not show up to work. If, you, if, you're, in, if, you're, if you're in school, your lecturer is going to hold you accountable to have that 5,000-word essay in at a certain time. So it's not that we don't like accountability because we're already doing accountability. We don't like accountability from a certain group of people sometimes, i.e. the church. Which, which is always interesting and fascinating to me because we already do accountability regularly. Um, work, school, whatever it is, right? With our friends, hey, are you coming to the movies today? That's accountability. <laughs> we plan to watch Super Mario Brothers at 6.15. just came out, that's why it's the only song film of mine. We plan to watch this at 6.15, are you coming? They're checking, they're keeping you accountable for the thing that you said you were going to do. So we're already practicing accountability. It's yeah. not that we're not practicing accountability. Yeah. Um, we just, for some reason, are not willing to be accountable to the people who ought to be loving towards us already yeah. and are therefore our good and our benefit. That's good. That's good. 